0: Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. I'm Erica.
1: And I'm your editor, Bryce.
0: This is part two of the
2: John F. Kennedy episode where we are going to get deep into discussion about who was involved and the primary theories from the infamous day. Be sure to have listened to last week's episode, which described the history, politics, and details of the assassination itself. So pour yourself a strong cup of Joe and let's dive in. Our main suspect comes from a couple different witnesses who had seen a couple different things that really led the police to the arrest of their suspect. The first witness I'm going to talk about is Howard Brennan, who was watching the motor car drive by and he was seated across from the Texas School Book Depository. And he noticed a man with a rifle firing from the building's sixth floor corner window. And so he immediately reported this to the police so that they would have an idea of like what to look for. The next witness I'm going to talk about is Harold Norman, who was an employee at the depository and was on the fifth floor at the time of the shooting. And he told police that he heard gunshots coming from the floor above him. The sixth floor was unoccupied as they just laid new flooring, so it was weird for somebody to have been up there at the time. These tips led the police to seal the building off sometime between 12.30 p.m. and 12.50 p.m. Around 1.03, the depository did roll call to check the employees to see who all was there, and Lee Harvey Oswald was the only employee that was not there that was supposed to be. He had last been seen in the building at 12.33 p.m. Witnesses came forward and said they saw a man running into the Texas theater without stopping to buy a ticket first. So this really kind of made them wonder like what was going on. And so they reported it to the police and police enter the Texas theater and they find a man fitting the suspect's description sitting in one of the back rows. Officer McDonald walked towards the suspect and at that time he leapt up and struck Officer McDonald attempted to draw a pistol on him, but was unsuccessful and was actually taken down by another officer, Officer Bentley. Once they arrested him, they looked at his wallet and they were able to identify him as Lee Harvey Oswald, the same employee that was missing from the depository at the time of the roll call. Around 1:15, the night of the assassination, there was an officer named Officer Tibbet after he had approached one of the suspects to ask him if he knew anything that was going on. And that suspect was decided to have been Lee Harvey Oswald. He was officially arrested with assassinating John F. Kennedy. They looked into the background of Lee Harvey Oswald. And they found out a couple things about him. So, he was born October 18th, 1939, in New Orleans, Los Angeles. And he was born just a few months after his father had died. So, he started out being raised just by a single mother, who then got married a few different times during his childhood. He moved around a lot as a kid, and he had a history of violence. There was one account where he had chased his half-brother around with a knife. I'm not sure that that went anywhere, but... It's at least something that's kind of concerning. Lee Harvey Oswald was in the Marine Corps for about three years, and he was actually demoted for accidentally wounding himself with an unauthorized twenty-two pistol. Lee Harvey Oswald had been in Russia in 1959 and had tried to join the Soviet Union and renounce his U.S. citizenship while there.
0: I think this is really interesting and probably a big reason that people believe Lee Harvey Oswald had this kind of hatred and would want to assassinate JFK is because of his, whether realistic or not, ties to the Soviet Union in his head.
2: Yeah, so he was actually trying to join it and because he thought that his knowledge that he'd learned when he was a Marine would actually help the Soviet Union out and they would just accept him because of the secrets that he knew. At this time, he was under FBI surveillance by the Dallas office for his connection to the Soviet Union. And the FBI didn't tell the Secret Service about Lee, even though they knew that he actually worked at the Texas School Book Depository, which was right on the route that the president was going to be taking at this time. Lee Harvey Oswald actually owned a 6.5 millimeter Italian rifle and that was the same gun that they were able to conclusively say was what killed john f kennedy the bullet fragments that were found in the car and the bullet fragment found in governor Connolly's body all matched a 6.5 millimeter rifle and they can conclusively say that it did not match any other gun police are then able to find the rifle hidden near the sixth floor window of the texas school book depository there were also three casings from the gun that were there on the ground And they were able to determine that this is where the shooter was located when they assassinated John F. Kennedy.
0: I was watching a documentary about the assassination, and the sixth floor of that building is actually a museum dedicated to it now. And they have that area completely blocked off with like glass walls, and they have it set up exactly like it would have been during that time. And they make a special note that that window is to be closed always, like for the rest of the time. They never want to open again.
2: I think that would be a really weird place to stand. Like
0: really, well, you can't get to the exact location because they have the walls like a. I mean, I couldn't tell exactly. Probably ten to twelve feet around it, but well, even just standing in that room would be very surreal. <sighs> yeah dallas itself that area is a huge tourist attraction because of this they have x's in the streets where which locate where the car was when jfk was shot they have museums they have tours daily it is a really big tourist attraction now
1: i can imagine it'd be pretty similar to standing in the same spot in the theater where lincoln was assassinated or at ground zero in new york during 9-11 where the twin towers were I haven't been to any location like that, but I can imagine the very surreal feeling of being in such a monumental place.
0: I actually, I have been to the site of 9-11, and it was, it's really weird to be somewhere where some, like, such a tragedy happened. And it's interesting, depending, I guess, on where you lean with stuff, all of us here we lean towards a spiritual side with that kind of thing where maybe some a place or a location with that kind of impact has residuals and you can feel that emotion or feeling that could have been felt during that time. It's a different vibe, I think. And, you know, maybe it is just a placebo effect or it really is you being in tune with your surroundings and that kind of feeling. But I do think it would be interesting to go to
1: So please go to FireDeptCoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way.
0: With Kizik Cans Free Shoes, Motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of Motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks.
2: On November 24th, 1963, they were transferring Lee Harvey Oswald from the Dallas Police Department to the county jail. He was actually shot by Jack Ruby, who was a nightclub owner, and he was shot point blank through the abdomen. And the reason that Jack Ruby killed him is pretty much unknown.
0: I did see that Jack Ruby's explanation for it was to spare Jackie Kennedy having to go through trial. So
2: that is his explanation. And then there's a lot of conspiracy behind why he may have
0: killed Lee Harvey Oswald. I think it's definitely interesting to kind of try to decipher that because in theory, yeah, it's nice of you to do that for Jackie, but you don't just kill someone to like spare someone that feelings. If you're like normal, sane person, I want to say, I wonder what else was lying underneath it, whether it be he was doing it because someone ordered him to or asked him to and he was personally bigger or if it's a psychological thing.
2: Yeah. And we'll get more into that in the conspiracies part of this episode. There was a commission that was created by Lyndon B. Johnson, who, after the John F. Kennedy assassination, became the new president. This commission was headed by Earl Warren, which is where the name came from. They were put in place to basically investigate the assassination of Don F. Kennedy, and they did, from November 29th, 1963, until September 24th, 1964. And they concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in the assassination. They stated that there was no evidence that could prove that Lee acted with anyone else, including Jack Ruby, even though it's a conspiracy.
0: In my head, I never put those two or link them together, that maybe he was killing him to try to keep him quiet yeah i never put that in my head until just this moment that is a big theory that lee harvey oswald
2: acted out and if there was a second shooter which we'll get into farther maybe it was jack ruby and jack ruby was trying to keep lee quiet and killed him that day
1: to me it would i would think it would be one of the extremes either he was an extremely patriotic person and was just trying to get revenge on somebody that did something that heinous to the country, or I think it would be very possible that he was trying to keep somebody quiet that was caught and therefore could speak out on something that he didn't want to be known.
0: There's so many different sides to the theories of who could be working for who and who was acting because of something else and what have you that I guess it's hard to, I think, fit it all together. For example, I like for me, Jack Ruby was like, He's such a side character that I always forget to include him in these theories because he could be a big part of it, like you said. And I always am looking at just Lee Harvey Oswald and not the two of them as a duo or, you know, co-conspirators or anything like that.
2: Well, I think something we have to remember is we have a whole segment on wrongful convictions. And I'm not saying Lee Harvey Oswald was wrongfully convicted, but I'm saying we really need to look at every side in every situation in every case And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes they find somebody and they're like, this is it. And there may be many cases where they have determined that it's only one person and there was a second person involved and only one person went away for it. And so I think this is an example of a case where maybe we need to be a little bit more open-minded and kind of look into the possibility of it being somebody else involved. In January 1979, the U.S. House of Representatives Assassination Committee, which had been founded in 1976, came forward and said that there may have been a second shooter and it may have been a conspiracy. They stated that there was acoustic evidence done of the Zabruder film and the evidence showed that there was a high chance that two shooters were involved because it showed that there was at least six times in that audio that contained the right echo patterns for those of gunfire. So they said that there may have even been six shots even though there were only three bullet casings found at the depository, which would mean that there was another shooter, at least one more.
1: And that's only really based off the idea that they found three shell casings near where Lee Harvey Oswald was, right?
0: Yes, correct. I mean, it's possible, too, that he was in a rush to get out and only picked up a couple.
2: It's possible that he picked up some. It's possible that there was another shooter involved. If if he did pick them up, he didn't have them on him when he was arrested. And they didn't find any around the area. So he would have somehow had to dispose of them where they couldn't have been found.
0: He wasn't apprehended for 45 minutes or an hour after. I think that's plenty of time to hide something that probably couldn't be found, especially something as small as casings. I have a hard time believing it just because I don't see why he would only pick up a couple. But it's definitely in the realm of possibility.
2: Yeah, the committee came forward and this was their exact quote. The committee believes, on the basis of the evidence available to it, that President John F. Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. The committee is unable to identify the other gunmen to the extent of the conspiracy. End quote. Jack Ruby, who was known as Jacob Rubenstein. Was that his full name? That was his full name. I didn't know that one either. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What a fun last name. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it is a fun last name. And he had had a relationship with a number of Dallas policemen, which amounted to various favors in exchange for them kind of putting some things off to the side with what he was doing and with his establishments. So he's the one that shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald. There is a lot of conspiracy behind why he did that. He, like Abby said, did it by his statement to say that It was because of the grief over John F. Kennedy's murder, and that's what caused him to do it. And he was suffering from psychomotor epilepsy, and so he shot Lee Harvey Oswald unconsciously. And the jury actually found him guilty of the murder with Vallis of Oswald and sentenced him to die. But in October of 1966... The Texas Court of Appeals actually reversed the decisions on the grounds of improper omission of testimony and the fact that Jack Ruby could not have received a fair trial in Dallas at the time because everyone was so biased so he didn't get that trial of his peers that was completely fair and unbiased.
0: As cut and dry as you can look at the case this situation because you it's on video it was on live tv that ruby shot oswald it's interesting because he absolutely couldn't have had a fair trial if he wasn't honestly i don't know where in the u.s you could have where they would not have seen that
2: nowhere and i think that that's why they decided we can't accept this i mean you this was not a fair trial and that's something that the united states says that they pride themselves on whether or not that always happens is a whole nother story listen to our wrongful conviction series (laughs) but in january of 1967 while he was awaiting a new trial to get a more fair testimony and more fair jury he actually ended up dying of lung cancer in a dallas hospital and he was never able to serve his sentence the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up So, we're gonna discuss some of the conspiracies with this and there are a lot. So, we're only gonna talk about a couple of the major ones. The first major one is that there was more than one shooter. and. This comes from a lot of different things. So the House of Representatives Assassination Committee came forward and said that they believed that there was a second shooter and that it was some sort of conspiracy. There was also a spectator that was watching the motor car go by named James T. Tagg. And he said that while he was standing there watching, there was a stray bullet that hit the sidewalk near him and it hit him in the cheek. And they discovered a little mark on this sidewalk next to him. And the Warren Commission said that it, quote, could have originated from the lead core of a bullet, end quote. But the weird thing with this is that James Tegg states that this stray bullet was from the second shot, not the first shot. And we know that the second shot was recovered from Governor Connolly's knee.
0: Yeah, a couple things there. One, I just wanted to say really quick, Governor Connolly believes there were two shooters as well. He did state that. So I think that's interesting to add with that second shooter theory. Two, I think it would be, I don't really know whether or not I believe take, but it's one of those things where in a scenario like that, him recalling that it was the second shot could be incorrect in a way that like, he's just having a hard time remembering because it was so traumatic, that situation
1: especially if there actually were more than three shots. So if let's say there were six total, there still could have been two shots fired out before JFK ever got hit. So there's there's kind of a lot of playroom there as far as it, it would matter how many were fired, how many before he was hit the first time, etc.
0: I can also imagine there was a lot of sound probably happening with people cheering and yelling after the first initial shot and all that commotion.
2: Exactly, which takes us back to that audio that they analyzed where they said that there were six points that would contain the echo patterns that was similar to that of gunfire, which I mentioned that to Bryce earlier. And Bryce, tell the audience what you your thought was on that.
1: Well, I've, I've not actually done any sort of analysis myself. So there's something called spectral analysis where you can basically break down a graph of wave patterns in sound into like a visual format so you can literally see different frequencies in different areas of the sound so if you saw a consistent pattern you could easily break that down the only thing that i would ever think of is if there were any sort of like sharp echoes from anything nearby that would be loud enough to maybe think it's a second shot or there's kind of there's kind of a lot of things, but obviously if there's real professionals analyzing these the audio, they'd be able to tell the difference probably. So, if professionals doing real analysis, assuming that there's no hidden agenda that they're trying to, you know, make one agenda go one way or the other, I'm I would just have to give it to them that they've done the correct job and they know that there are in fact six.
0: So, I know you said that professionals would be able to tell a difference. So, they would be able to tell maybe the difference between like the echo because they were downtown and that kind of stuff.
1: Right. So, typically with echoes obviously it's going to be a lot quieter and the the initial roll off of that audio is going to be smoother on an echo like there's there's distinct differences so i would assume that the people that did the real analysis would have enough experience to know the differences
0: unless they're covering up
1: something correct
2: also to kind of go along with some of this conspiracy stuff. There is supposedly other footage from a different angle that went missing, but people say that they see somebody sitting in the grass and they see puffs of smoke from a gun coming out from that area and they believe that this is from a second shooter. Erica, do you mean the grassy knoll theory? I do, yes. It leads us back to, is there a second shooter? If so, where are these bullets coming from? Then it leads into the question of, was there a, a quote magic bullet as people said that there was, or were there two separate bullets that entered Kennedy and Connolly?
0: Yeah, and by magic bullet, we're talking about that second bullet that was shot that went through Kennedy and through Connolly, and the trajectory of it is so strange that it's It's typically referred to as that magic bullet. And some people don't believe it's possible.
2: The trajectory, along with the fact that the bullet that was recovered from Governor Connolly's knee, was basically completely intact after supposedly traveling through John F. Kennedy's shoulder, neck, the back of Connolly, his wrist, and then into his knee. And the bullet was still completely intact is something that...
1: In most circumstances, bullets will tend to break apart as they go through targets, especially if they are mostly just lead. So in this case, the bullet that was fired was actually a full copper jacketed round, which means that unless it's hitting something incredibly dense or impacting another type of metal or something, most of the time, it'll stay pretty much in the same shape. So it could be deflected, the side up and down or whatever by perhaps their bones or part of the seat or whatever it's going through but unless it's hitting something very dense it's likely to not break apart. That's kind of what the full metal jacket type rounds do so I wouldn't say that it's impossible for that type of bullet to stay stuck together. I think the hardest part to believe is just what sitting arrangement they'd have to be in for it to work and based on the seating arrangement if Governor Conley's chair was slightly to the left of Kennedy and if he was also kind of turned to his right which in the video he was then it's possible the path would make sense given slight adjustments mid-flight of the bullet bouncing off of essentially bones and parts of the seat so I would say it's not out of the realm of possibility but it does add a layer of suspicion
2: the next theory that we're going to talk about is the possibility that the vice president kind of had it out for president john f kennedy Lyndon B. Johnson had apparently attempted to take the Democratic nomination from John F. Kennedy at the 1960 Democratic Convention in Los Angeles. So the belief here is that Lyndon B. Johnson was possibly looking to obtain more political gain and power. He had previously been the Texas senator, and he had asked John F. Kennedy if he could keep doing that job. And it's believed that he just wanted to do that so that he could keep having some sort of power and be in charge of something. There were also rumors that Lyndon B. Johnson was going to be dropped from the re-election ballot the next year, and there were rumors that he had kind of convinced John F. Kennedy to go to Dallas to do some campaigning because he was worried that they weren't going to have them on their side anymore, and that if they didn't, then Lyndon B. Johnson wouldn't have the chance to be the vice president the following year apparently john f kennedy didn't want to go to dallas but because of all of the stuff that lyndon b johnson was saying and all the convincing that he did it did convince him to go and there was some sort of argument that happened between lyndon b johnson and jfk the night before the assassination i couldn't find out anything what it was but there was apparently some sort of tension between the two Lyndon B. Johnson's right-hand man had supposedly been warned by a high-profile Texas lawyer named Byron Skelton, saying that the political climate in Dallas was not safe at this time and that he actually feared for the president's safety and didn't think that he should come. But Lyndon B. Johnson never told John F. Kennedy. And a little bit extra, there was one other person that knew about this, and that was John F. Kennedy's brother, Robert but he didn't do anything and he didn't even tell JFK that there were these concerns about his safety with going to
0: Dallas. Here's what I find fishy about this whole theory. Obviously, Dallas was risky. I mean, I don't think there was any... I think JFK was likely smart enough to understand that it was a little risky. And was there anything to even say that JFK wasn't close with his brother? I mean, his brother was the one who appointed him attorney general.
2: No, there was nothing that I could find about him. It was purely just all speculation that maybe his brother just didn't tell him. And I don't know if his brother didn't tell him just because he wanted him to come to Dallas and try to get Dallas or on their side. But I think that when you're president or running for president, you know the risks, you know that you're not going to be safe in a lot of places that you go. Politics are a big thing, especially nowadays. And people get really violent sometimes when it comes down to politics, if you don't necessarily agree with what the other person believes. And so I think that it's just kind of known that if you're going into a town that doesn't necessarily have the same beliefs as you, and you're just expressing your beliefs and giving speeches about them, people might look down upon you and it can be a slightly dangerous situation especially
0: with the friction between people because of the civil rights movements.
1: And the Cuban Missile Crisis, do you think that might have added to any sort of tension?
0: Yeah. And I just, you know, whether or not it's Lyndon B. Johnson or what have you behind it, I don't know about that, but I think there were a lot of people mad at JFK for his decisions with the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff that really could have boiled up.
2: Yeah. One of the things that kind of made people question Lyndon B. Johnson was there was a girl named Madeline Brown who claimed that she was actually having an affair with Lyndon B. Johnson. And she came forward and said that she went to a party with Lyndon B. Johnson, Richard Nixon, and J Edgar Hoover the night before the assassination And while they were at this party, Lyndon B. Johnson supposedly whispered into her ear, quote, after tomorrow, those Kennedys will never embarrass me again. That's no threat. That's a promise. End quote.
1: Totally sounds like something that could be said after the fact to make it seem like you had some sort of inside information. Because that's, I mean, that's easy to say. But I don't know. It seems like if it's something of that high importance, high stakes, would you really risk just willy nilly telling somebody at a party like that?
0: I don't buy into it. I guess it's a great thought process someone put through. A lot of people believe it, but for me personally, I don't see it for me all right so i'm glad you guys see through it because lyndon b
2: johnson was in dallas the night before the assassination that was proven however his movements were highly documented by all of the secret service agents and there was no time for a possible exchange with this madeline brown girl and so there was no evidence to support the theory and the warren commission even said there's no way it's not possible and they completely disposed of this theory The next theory was actually that the Russians were behind the JFK assassination. There was some tension between the nations with the Cold War going on, and they believed that maybe the Harvey Oswald had been acting as a KGB agent and was hired by the Russians to kind of assassinate JFK for some reason.
0: Also, though, this doesn't make sense to me because... JFK, through the Cuban Missile Crisis, just struck the steel with the Soviet Union, and they were pulling out our missile bases from Turkey and Italy, and kind of, in a way, a mild agreement of peace for the time being. And I think that would just enrage the U.S. and more people to, like, start a war, almost. Absolutely. I
2: really think that the only reason that this theory even came about was because Lee Harvey Oswald had tried to join the Soviet Union and was known to have ties with Russia. He had just been in a Russian embassy just a few weeks before the assassination. And so I really think that just because they knew that Lee Harvey Oswald was involved, they started to look at him and his background, and then they started to pull theories out of that. And that's where that one came from. The next theory was that possibly the mob assassinated John F. Kennedy. There were three mob groups that came forward and saying that they were responsible. There was one from Chicago, one from Miami, and one from New Orleans, which if you remember, I told you that Lee Harvey Oswald was actually born in New Orleans and had grown up there a little bit. So it's possible that Lee Harvey Oswald had some sort of connection to the mob in New Orleans. And Jack Ruby, the man that shot Lee Harvey Oswald, was also theorized to have mafia connections. And he believed that maybe they were working with the CIA to kind of carry out the assassination on JFK, which we'll go into the CIA being involved in the assassination next. The main reason that people thought that maybe the mobs went after John F. Kennedy was because Robert Kennedy was the attorney general and they were making moves against organized crime, which might have been angering them. I don't see it because it's one of those things where if you're mad at Robert Kennedy, why are you going after John Kennedy? The main reason that I'm touching on this theory at all is because in 2015, this man named James Files, who's in prison, came forward and said that he was a former mafia hitman and had been working with these mobs. And he admitted to being the second shooter in the assassination.
0: Because people who are in
2: prison never lie. I agree, but it was just something that I thought was kind of interesting that he was like, hey, I was the second shooter and he's coming forward.
1: Sounds like somebody's just hoping for a legacy.
2: The next theory that I'm going to talk about is the possibility that the CIA is behind the assassination. There's a couple things that kind of make people believe that. I don't know that pinning things on the CIA is the best choice or the most reasonable choice, but part of what they were looking at was that the previous head of the CIA named Alan Doles was actually on the Warren Commission, and there was information that the CIA had held back from the commission. They had held back some different things about their attempt to kill Fidel Castro and some different things about the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba. And there there were just different things that they had held back that it's believed that maybe they had decided to kill JFK because he wasn't 100% on board with killing Fidel Castro and that maybe he had a different idea in how to go about that.
0: Which is interesting because in the beginning, he wanted Castro overthrown. He got that group together together. Of Cubans to go down there and, you know, try to overthrow Castro. I'm not saying any of
2: these theories make sense. I'm just telling you the theories that I came across. But I agree. Part of the thing is, after the failed Bay of Pigs invasion, after it didn't quite go the way they wanted it to, the CIA had some changes in personnel. And that was because JFK had made those changes happen. It's believed that this may have just really made the CIA kind of pissed off, and because they were so mad, they decided to just kill him. He had apparently refused to offer additional U.S. military support in that invasion, even after the CIA had offered, quote, an umbrella of a protection, end quote. This is kind of where I get into a little bit of even weirder stuff. They... Talk about the word usage of umbrella of air production. Lee Harvey Oswald had supposedly worked with a potential CIA operative in that was actually referred to as the umbrella man. And in the photos in the film, they say that you can see a man standing there holding an umbrella just on his own. And it wasn't raining. So they point out how that was weird. And... They also point out a couple other things about him. So the first bullet didn't strike until the car that he was in was right in front of this man. And others say that the umbrella man seems to lift his umbrella about a foot or so into the air as if to signal the shooter.
0: One, chances are there was more than one person in front of the car when it drove by and they got shot. With all the people there. There was going to be someone there. Whether it's one, two, three, whatever. Also, I don't see how him moving his umbrella during it really signals, air quotes, anything, because of course you're going to move and react if you hear a gunshot.
1: Well, I also wonder why a shooter would need to be signaled. Because if you're a sharpshooter and you're aiming and you're looking for the best possible time to shoot the president, why are you also watching an umbrella, man, to signal you when to shoot? Why would you not just shoot when you need to shoot?
2: That's where the rest of the theory comes in. Also, why an umbrella? That's where the rest of the theory comes in. Some people believe that the umbrella was a spy-like weapon that could fire
1: darts. And what is a dart supposed to do that a bullet will not?
2: You're asking the wrong person. I'm not part of the CIA. The Supposedly, the umbrella was closed right before and right after the car passed. But when the car passed, it was open. And there was apparently a slight hole in JFK's neck. And
0: they said that it explained that hole. Isn't. A- that from the exit wound of the second bullet that's
2: kind of my thought process but you know what i didn't do the autopsy i didn't examine the body so, i don't know
1: so give them the benefit of the doubt that yes it shot a dart at jfk what is it ultimately doing like maybe it's a poison dart as like a backup in case the bullet didn't kill him or whatever but either than a it missed or b like there was no there was no dart found nothing was sticking in his neck it, so then
2: it would have had to disintegrate or it would it doesn't make any sense i agree There was actually a man named Louis Stephen Witt who came forward and said, hey, I was the guy with the umbrella. And he came forward to court and testified. He even brought the umbrella with him to court. He said that it was a sign of protest against John F. Kennedy's father, Joseph Kennedy.
1: Opening an umbrella?
2: (laughs) Apparently, Louis was not a fan of Joseph's appeasement policies when he was ambassador to court of St. James. He stated that he only opened the umbrella when he believed that Kennedy could see it as some sort of protest against John F. Kennedy's father, Joseph, and his appeasement policies that he made when he was ambassador to the court of St. James. Apparently, many people in England and America have used umbrellas as a symbol of protest, something I've never heard of. But Richard Nixon banned his aides when he was vice president. He banned them from having umbrellas as a fear of having a visual link to an unpopular policy of appeasement. I have no idea or recollection of this ever being a thing in history until now reading it about both the Kenne- in the Kennedy situation and in the Nixon's. There was no way to confirm that Louis Witt was the umbrella man that was actually at the assassination. And there was no way to make sure that that umbrella that he had with him was the same umbrella he'd had there. And they didn't do a search of him or the house or really even question him. And the only thing they really asked him was why he looked so calm in the video. Because after the shooting, he just sits down on the curb acting completely normal. And he says that the umbrella blocked his view of the assassination. And so he was just perfectly calm.
1: I think the whole thing pretty well falls under the psychological phenomenon of people assuming that a large event requires complicated setups and conspiracies. And if they see anything slightly out of place, they'll assign whatever sort of theory they want for it. So,
0: You know, it reminds me a lot of the same Erica and I have said before in episodes where Sometimes people come up with the conclusion they want and find things to fit it instead of looking at everything and coming up with the correct conclusion.
1: Facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts.
0: Yep. Overall, what do you guys think? I go back and forth so much.
2: Part of me thinks that maybe there was someone more involved. It just seems like a big thing for one person to carry out. And maybe there was only one shooter, but was he the only one that planned it?
1: I mean, if... Lee Harvey Oswald worked in that building and had readily had access to the floor and that window or whatever. It's not that far fetched that if he was just personally angry at the country or the president and just wanted to do something and happened to know that the president would be in the area and he just took advantage of an opportunity and just did it, that's not too far out of the realm of possibility. As far as a second shooter, I think obviously there's a chance. None of this falls under real physical tangible evidence. It's all really just theory and I don't I don't like to run too far with those because you could do that for anything. So, I I don't really have an opinion past what we already know.
0: For me, I think I tend to lean towards Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone and the events just being unfortunate and following how they were without an ulterior motive, but we don't know everything. We weren't there, and I think it leaves it far more interesting. And curious to wonder what else or what if something else had happened.
2: So there was a news poll done in 2003, and it showed that 70% of people believed there was some sort of plot behind the killings. 32% of people accepted the Warren Commission's findings that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. And 51% of people believed the second gunman was involved. In 1973, Lyndon B. Johnson told The Atlantic, quote, I never believed that Oswald acted alone, although I can accept that he pulled the trigger,
1: end quote. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found.